What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. You may be seated. We're going to read a little bit more a little bit later, but I'm just so excited about this passage today that I want to kind of just jump into it. Um, so today we're actually ending our series on practicing the way of Jesus and a little bit bummed about it because I feel like it's just been so life-giving for our church. It's been fun to hear stories about how God has really kind of grabbed a hold of your heart. Um, next week we'll be looking at the Sermon on the Mount and I just it's going to be so good. Um, really the desire for this series and the desire for our church in general is that we would actually just tap into all that Jesus has for us. That we would actually hear these words, like Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and life to the full, or other translations say life in abundance. Wouldn't you love for that to be an actual reality for your life here and now, not just for eternity? This is a message uh, my grandfather, we call him Papa. Anybody else have a Papa? Or Yeah, fantastic. Usually people from the South have like a papa and a, and a peepaw and a meat. Anyways, I had all those things. Neemaw, namaw. I never knew which one was which. <laughs> that was the great. Anyways, uh, so papa, he was a preacher. He's a Baptist preacher and he's from the South. And he was in that era where there was tent revivals. Anybody ever been to a tent revival or heard of a tent revival? Amen. I see the faces like, yeah. Um, so my grandfather did those and it's just so fun. Um, I spent some time with my grandmother. Uh, my, father, my grandfather passed away, but we go through all these news articles, these newspapers. Um, she was a great wife. She kept all of them. I told Jordan, you keep all of them. She says, people don't read newspapers. So, you know, whatever. And you've never been in one, so move on. But uh, so <laughs> I've been in one, okay? Basketball. But uh, so, so there's these really cool things. And, and I'd hear story after story about how you just come. He's like, um, son, if you can't say it in 20 minutes, you might as well not say it at all. And his sermons were usually about 20 minutes long, as you guys know. I don't follow that, but <laughs> amen. Okay, I feel a little bit of resentment here, uh, but he would always say that. He'd also say, um, my sermon's like baloney. Chop it up anywhere you'd like, and it's still good. And uh, so he had all these fun sayings, but it's really cool because he would just talk about the love of Jesus. God loves you. He, Jesus died for you on the cross, and people would just flood to the front. People would get saved. It's just incredible stuff. Um, one of my favorite stories, real quick, that he talked about, all these stories he would tell me about people coming forward. We'd always be at the airport, and he's like, oh yeah, I baptized those people, and I wouldn't believe them. Then those people would come up and say, hey, Nathan Pillow, you baptized. Okay, now you're not a liar. Okay, I get it. But I remember um, he talked about one time he was sitting on a, it was a tent revival, so they always had to bring in these portable heaters. And for some reason, my grandfather must have been bright like me, he was sitting on the heater, you know, in his nice suit, talking to people, and all of a sudden, his pants caught on fire. <laughs> And so he had to preach with, it was just this, I don't even know what he did, like tied a jacket around his waist so that the, he was, you know, anyway, he called it the Holy Spirit fire. But um, he had all these fun things, but it's really interesting. Today, you don't really hear of tent revivals. You do, we call them conferences. You know, we kind of change the way we talk about it. But in reality, it, it seems as if we don't have those type of revivals today. And I used to lament that, but I'm realizing that I think we're in a culture, in a, in a time of life um, that I think we need something just a little bit different. See, many of the people like who my grandfather talked to understood the importance of religion, uh, but didn't know the relationship aspect, right? Have you ever heard that before? You need a personal relationship. You know, like religion is dead. Like you need to have a relationship with the Father. But I think kind of the era we're in right now is we don't like religion at all. We're only about relationship. 
Now, I am totally against religion in the negative sense, but here's what I mean by that. See, my grandfather's generation just needed to be reminded of God's grace and his love and his passion for you. But I feel like our generation, like every single one of us, we want to save the world, but we don't want to help mom clean the dishes. Amen? You ever thought about that? We want, yeah, I'm going to change the world. I don't, want to, I don't want to clean my room. I don't want to make my bed. You know, I don't want to do all these things. And honestly, a lot of, uh, we do college ministry. A lot of it is just teaching the fundamentals of just like the patterns of life. I can go on and on. I hope I'm making sense. This uh, Mark Sayers, I heard it in a podcast this week. He was examining revivals throughout history. And uh, some revivals, the ones I always hear about, are he defined as fire moments where um, the preacher, he wasn't even that good of a preacher, but people would just be flooding forward and just God showed up, right? Worship music was incredible. And those are the revivals I think most of us hear about and we think about. The Great Awakening, anybody with American history in the 1700s, you had this fire moments where George Whitfield would go just preach the word and many, many, many would get saved. But I don't think we realize is Mark Sayers, he talked about this week, I heard on a podcast, yes, revival needs fire, but it also needs formation. It needs form. What do I mean by that? We can have an incredible worship service, but if we're not actually have the right patterns, the right practices, the next day forward, actually, okay, God, now I need to read my word. I need to pray. I need to practice hospitality. I need to fast. I need to Sabbath, all these things. Then the fire doesn't do much if we don't have the form to keep it going. Am I making sense at all? And I realize what we're in in our culture is we don't necessarily have any practices that are natural for us. So if God would come down and fire right now, I'm not sure how long it would last. See, this is why we've said in the statement um, of the series is what, what are we called to do? We're called to passionately pursue the life and lifestyle of Christ in Queen Creek. Meaning, Yes, pursue the life, that he has come to give you life and that you're salvation. Amen. But what we've been looking at in the series is the lifestyle of Christ. When he lived here on earth, he also lived his life a certain way. He treated his body a certain way, and that is what enabled him to walk in the Spirit. So, okay, let's look to, to Matthew chapter 4. To give context to it, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized. Um, which a lot of people are like, why does he get baptized? I believe it's because he's showing us, hey, to be followers of me, a big part of that obedience is to get baptized. So John the baptizer baptizes him. Then you see right after that in Matthew chapter 4, we've talked about it um, this year already, but 4, 1 through um, 11, we have this whole uh, Jesus in the wilderness. So this was, the baptism marked his public ministry. I'm out now, I, he's been living his life for 30 years in relative obscurity, but now he's saying, I am here, I have a mission, I'm announcing who I am, what I'm doing. He starts it with baptism, which we believe that's what we're called to do as well, and then he goes to the wilderness, and he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, right? He fasts for 40 days, 40 nights, and then we actually have here in verse 17, now all of that has happened. He's starting his ministry, and this is the first really words from his mouth after he's gotten back from the wilderness experience. He says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. We're going to look at this text in three sections, okay? First section is just verse 17, and this is the one I think a lot of us know about when we think about what Jesus does. He can't, he's here to offer us life. Verse 18 through 22, what we have Matthew, the gospel writers, laying out for us is, okay, now it's showing, okay, now I've come to give life, but Jesus is saying for you to really tap into this life and the fullness of what it can bring you, 
You need to follow me. You need to watch my lifestyle. So 18 through 22, we see James, Peter, um, John uh, actually surrendering and saying, okay, I'm done fishing and now I'm going to follow your lifestyle. We're going to look at that a little bit. And then we're going to finish with 23 through 25. Jesus now takes those things and blesses their city. We believe as Christians, we're called to pursue the life and lifestyle of Christ in our city. For us, it would be Queen Creek. So let's look at this first, passionately pursuing the life of Christ, verse 17. Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Another way to translate that, we've talked about this a little bit, kingdom is pretty much essentially God's rule and reign. So he's saying, hey, I'm here, repent, turn away from your old way of life, and God's rule and reign is near you, meaning you can access it right now because I am here among you. Jesus is announcing the renewal of all creation that we're longing for. Each and every one of us, we have decided, we have a picture of the good life. We're thinking, if we just get this in place, then my life will be better. And we're all desperately trying to fix our anxiety. We're all desperately trying to fix our relationship issues. And what Jesus is saying is, I've come, and all of your answers are now in me. See, why are we broken? It says to repent. Repent is this world of churning, right? I love Greg Gilbert. He says, repentance is not perfection, but it's taking sides. It's what this is. He's saying, look, every single one of us, we, we, God, when he created us, he's given us dominion over certain things, right? The problem that we have is we try to have dominion over other people, even dominion over God. We are saying my rule and reign is what I need to accomplish what I want in life. And Jesus comes and says, listen, brother, I, my rule and reign is what you really need. So repent. In other words, get rid of, uh, sacrifice, realize that your rule and reign isn't what's going to give you satisfaction, hope, and joy, and peace. Live under this dominion, your peace, your, um, the God's rule and reign. This is point number one. How do we do this? How do we repent for the kingdom of heaven is near? How is that possible for us? Jesus says is repentance. This is point number one. Repentance is the entrance to abundance. Boom. Come on. Nobody? All right. It rhymes, guys. It really flows. I got excited. He's saying repentance is the entrance to abundance. And this is the gospel message that my grandfather would preach in the tent revivals and people would come. Look, all these different ways you've been trying to pursue the good life. No, no, no. The good life is in Christ and Christ alone. Amen? Those things you're trying to pursue, those things are called sin because it's out of order. You are hurting other people. You're doing the things God told you not to do. And the things you're not doing are the things that God wants you to do. You're in sin. Your kingdom is off because you have yourself as the king of the throne and you were never designed to take that pressure. Jesus alone is the one who's on the throne and that is when we actually flourish. I love, um, it's the hymn. It says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I bring no other argument, I bring no other plea, but that Jesus died and he died for me. This is the essence of the gospel message. Repentance is the entrance to abundance, this good life that Jesus offers. But here's the problem. If we stop there in our message, we can get a lot of people, I believe, still a lot, our attendance in heaven would rise, but I still believe not much would change in our lives here on earth. And the reality is this gospel message is not just you now have a place to go in heaven, but literally it's now you can bring heaven in you, bring heaven to earth, and your eternal life actually starts right now. Do you believe that? 
this peace, joy, love from the Father begins today when you actually repent and turn to Him. See, we need to understand the context of this passage. I love it. John Ortberg, he, he talks about this. It's really interesting. The way Jesus starts his message is repent. Look, he, he says this quote, John Ortberg. The message we proclaim determines the kind of people we will produce. So if you proclaim the mall is at hand, you will t- tend to produce consumers. If you proclaim TV is at hand, you will tend to produce spectators. If you proclaim the revolution is at hand, you will tend to produce warriors. But if the church proclaims the gospel is how to get to heaven by doing nothing, it will tend to produce people who do nothing. I want us to see here, the kingdom of heaven is near. Receive it, but we have to see how repentance is such a huge part of that. And it's actually a call to something more, not just to receive the life and now live the same way you live, but it's to receive the life change your ways, put Jesus on the throne, and walk forward. But how do you do that? See, here's where I get, I'm realizing, like, oh, this is so good, this whole series. I even realize, so many times when I preach, I say, repent, churn. And they're like, okay, great, but how do I do that? I don't know, come next week, listen to the next sermon. You'll... But what we've been saying now is one of the ways you actually churn and stay churned towards the Father and enjoy Him are these things called the practices of Jesus. We've, we've, we've only, guys, we've only tapped into some of them, right? Meditation, Sabbath, fasting. I think I talked about another one. No, prayer, right? There's so many more. There's so many. And I'm so excited for us as a church to walk through them. This is where the money's at. Let, here's point proven. Verse 18. Verse 18, it says, as he was, so he announced, this is where life, have life in abundance. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, which is beautiful, by the way, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Women, don't you like this translation? Because it's usually, I'll make you fishers of men. And you're like, come on here, huh? I got three girls. I just, I'm constantly thinking of, I got you. Okay, so great translation here in the CSB. Immediately they left, they left their nets and followed him. You see the same thing with the other two brothers in verse 22. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. See, what we have here, it's really hard for us to understand in our context, is essentially apprenticeship. Um, I, I tend to like the word apprentice a little bit more than disciple because I think it makes a little more sense in our modern minds. Um, apprenticeship uh, actually was not unique to Jesus in the first century. Everywhere, they didn't have universities in the first century. What they had was rabbis, these teachers. And you would, um, your rabbi was your university. So you would hope that your, your rabbi, the person you look up to, you would ask, can I follow you? And when they followed them, they didn't just teach them principles. They showed them how to live all of life. So the apprentices would live with the rabbi because their job was not just to learn to believe the same things, but their job was to literally behave the same way the rabbis behaved. So this is what's really interesting. Like what I tend to think, I mean, essentially, Jesus spoke a certain way, and because the disciples were with him so much that they started speaking a certain way. You guys ever have friends that have these weird sayings, and now you start saying them? You're like, shoot, you know? Um, I get Shelby to say baller life every once in a while, and that's totally mine. You know what I'm saying? As you can tell, it's not cool, so it's mine. Baller life. She's like, I said baller life the other day. That's totally your fault. I'm like, I don't even hang out with you. I hang out with Caleb way more. Okay, but 
Listen, can you imagine though, like if that was actually how we did discipleship today, like if I actually had people follow me around everywhere, we'd have a bunch of people who rhymed all the time and had cameras in front of their faces wherever they went. Like, wouldn't that be the weirdest thing if like you go to Passion Creek Church and everyone, that's too much y'all, you know what I'm saying? That's way too much rhyming uh, from even for me. Um, but this was his illustration. This was actually what they believed. Jesus, by the way, when it says, I'll make you fishers of people, he's not like using this cute little analogy like, see how you're fishing those fish? I will make you a fisher of man. That was a cool saying, huh? This actually was a phrase used in the Greek and Roman culture for, um, for quite some time. It literally meant to convert people to a new way of life. To fish people, it's like, hey, this is how you live. And here's where we miss it. Oh, here's where we miss it. We're going to be looking at Sermon on the Mount starting next week. And what's so interesting, when Jesus went and spoke the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, this is really cool, Jesus would sit while the listeners would stand. I think we should try that. No, just kidding. Um, that'd be fun, okay? But for me, amen. Uh, less of you would fall asleep. Uh, but you know what's interesting? From what I've read, those apprentices, they didn't have a pen out. They, didn't, they weren't trying to write everything down. What they would do when they would listen to their rabbi, they were thinking, how can I apply this now? How can I go actually do this? Because that shows if the apprentice is actually listening to the rabbi. How often do we think of that? I'm constantly thinking, I need to, I need to write everything down. But do I actually think, okay, now how am I going to put this into practice? Their top priority was to follow Jesus through word and deed. Um, and I think that's crucial for us today because we think following Jesus is just a mental ascent. Like, yes, I agree. Like social media, like we don't literally have to do anything for a cause except like put a little little post like I'm for these people and you, like you're an incredible person. This is kind of like how we've adopted this new um, kind of, of, of living. John Mark Homer, I'll remind you of this quote, we cannot experience the life of Jesus if we do not adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So if Jesus is, sing, listen here, I really want us to not, I want us to see the importance of 18 through 22 and realize the kingdom, like the, Jesus's whole ministry was based around the fact of this apprenticeship of Jesus. And for us to extend the kingdom of God in our world today, we have to realize how we also need to be apprentices of Jesus. Because if Jesus's only goal was to forgive us of sin, I want you to think about this. If that was his only goal, which most of us really, honestly, if we had, we, that's what we believe. He wouldn't have had to preach ever. He would have had to just come, go straight to the cross, die, and say that was for you, and move on. But instead, he is living this life, bringing people in, because he is saying, look, it's not just this forgiveness. I am showing you how to live eternal life today, right now. He's saying, I'm not just offering you a way to life. Jesus is offering a way to of life. And that is what we see in the practices of Jesus. Here's point number two that I want us to really hit home. Okay, it's more rhyming. Just get ready. <laughs> you ready for this? Anybody want to guess? I'm just kidding. Okay. Obedience isn't our entrance to abundance, but it's certainly how we experience abundance. I want you to think about this. You know, like, ah, oh, this is so hard because I think the, the, we used to think, oh, like, because there's been preachers that obey and then you'll get saved. That is not our message here. But I think we've, hold, we've held so deeply to that of like, no, it's not about obedience. It's by grace alone, faith alone. Amen. But if we never get to the obedience part, we miss out on a lot of the life Jesus offers us. 
So it's not how we enter salvation, but it's certainly how we enjoy salvation, this actual obedient life. You know, I was actually reading it um, this morning. I snapshotted it on my phone. Um, This is free, okay? Uh, Okay, Dallas Willard said this. I love this quote. Hurry and write it down. I'm going to say it really fast. Um, Just kidding. I'll post it on my Instagram. Follow me. Uh, I'll post it later. The (laughs) general... That's just a cheap way to get followers, right? At Trey Van Camp. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it an actual reality. Oh, I think that's good. Here, here's, here's Trey's version. You ready? Look, we have tried to convince ourselves that we can have a renewed life without a restricted lifestyle. How is that going for you? We've convinced ourselves we can have a renewed life without a restricted lifestyle. But how is that going for you? See, I really believe we are in a cultural moment here where the biggest way God will bring revival to us is if we start changing our practices and making way for God to come down. Most of the revivals I read throughout history are these crazy prayer moments that I mentioned even last week. God coming down, incredible worship service, the, the preacher's rhyming actually starts to make sense, all this great stuff, right? But other revivals that you don't hear about as much is like St. Benedict. St. Benedict, his, his, um, it was right after the Roman Empire was falling, complete chaos. There was no order in the world at all. People were doing whatever they wanted to do, whenever they wanted to do it. Does that sound familiar? And St. Benedict says, you know what we need? We need to get back to the practices. You guys, let's go back to fasting twice a week. Let's go back to reading our word together. Let's go back. And he did all of these things. Now, some would argue he went a little too far. Okay. But what happened is so many people caught that and God was able to move because friends, it doesn't make sense if you're like, God, I just need you, but you're not doing any of these practices throughout the week to allow God to actually speak to you. Here, this is why we call it um, uh, our patterns. We call it patterns. God time, gather time, group time, go time. This is the next point. Our patterns have the power to form our future. See, that is what actually forms us. According to the word, he's saying, follow me. I will show you my patterns. Here's how I spend God time. Here's how I gather with Christians. Here is how I have group. You are my group. This is how I go share the word. This is all of these things. These things are actually what form us, what we're doing on a consistent basis. That's why in our church, what we've decided to do is we just went through, this is the last day about these practices. And we looked at these practices. What we're going to do is we're going to go through different practices three times a year. So there'll be three different series. We're just ending this one. Um, Towards August, we'll start another series on a different set of practices that Jesus did during his lifetime. And then we will say, how can we follow these practices? One, like hospitality. You know, one is silence. There's so many. Again, there's so many for us to look into. But I believe it's these patterns that we're developing in our life is actually, it does, it's not what saves us, but it's certainly how we experience Jesus in a, in a more abundant way. And my prayer is that we actually like get excited about these things and we delight in them. Here's the next point. I think this is really going to hit it home on this point still, okay? Our practices meditation, Sabbath, fasting, all these things we've been looking at, our practices are how we participate in the power of God's promises. What do I mean by that? 
Our practices are how we participate in the power of God's promises. Anytime you see a promise in God's word, fantastic. We're actually supposed to not only do something with our mind to tap into it, but we're all supposed to do stuff with our body. We're supposed to actively engage in these promises in order for us to experience those promises. We live in a culture that has so disconnected our spirit from our body, right? Our body, we're in a culture where just do whatever you want with whoever you want, but yet we're so confused why we're depressed. We have not combined those two things together, and I think we've done that. I sound like an old man, like, can you believe these people? Like, I didn't ever want to be that guy. But that's like for us too. Um, Isaiah 26.3, I love this verse. I think it's my favorite, it's my new favorite verse. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's this practice of actually engaging in these things and meditating and focusing on him. This is why I believe baptism is actually so important. If, I, if I'm honest, I think a lot of us, we've missed out on the significance of baptism because I think honestly, and I have to repent of maybe the way I've packaged it, we kind of make it seem like, hey, we want our church to look like we're growing and we want to put more light bulbs on here. So we really want you to get baptized so that we look good because I got numbers to go report to people to make sure that people still think we're doing well. And I really want a cool slow-mo video of you coming out of that water. So can anybody get baptized? We're having baptisms on Easter, by the way. You can get that slow-mo footage of yourself. But that actually, I, I don't think that is actually the greatest way to present baptism. Baptism, we have to see how, oh, but it's just, I hope I'm, am I making sense today? It's this where we're seeing how the body is actually connected to the Spirit. And the reason why so many are just like, why would we get baptized? Friends, Jesus got baptized, and we're called to follow everything Jesus did. And so obviously there's something there about getting baptized that I think we're tapping into something. I believe there are blessings in your life that you cannot access if you don't take that step of obedience and baptism. I believe that. What does baptism do? It's a picture you going down into the grave and coming up a new life. But it's also a beautiful opportunity to say, Jesus, I trust in you. You are my salvation. But I am now actually today, I am saying, Jesus, I am going to adopt your lifestyle. And the first thing you did to show us how to follow you was to get baptized. And that is going to be the first thing I do as well. See, baptism has, is how we participate in the power of God's promises. It's not what saves you. You can totally go to heaven without getting baptized, but I think you totally miss out on so many blessings. I wrote this down. We are so scared of obedience becoming our entrance that we have forgotten its significance to the life of an apprentice. It is so significant. Are you missing out on the abundance of what Jesus has for you? Maybe it's because you haven't been able to connect those dots of abundance with obedience. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do. But let's keep moving forward. And then it says in verse 23, Now Jesus began to go over all, all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, I was so worried about that word and I messed it up, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Here is, okay, so verse 17, the life of Christ. This is what we're called to do. 
18 through 22, we are called to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And let me just give one more word of encouragement here. These practices can get a little overwhelming. My encouragement to you is to find some practices that work for you and start with those. Again, baptism is a great first one to go with. And we don't believe to get baptized a bunch. Like, I'm going to do it every, no, don't do it every week. We're only going to give you one light bulb. Amen. But, but this is something to start with. But for me, I have found I, I have to, my personality, I have to fast twice a week because I'm crazy. I'm like a glutton. I just stress eat like crazy. So it's a good reminder for me. And then Sabbath, that's something for me that I love, that I have grown to cherish. So many other things. I want you to think about your life. What are these practices? Don't overwhelm you uh, with just, I need to do all of this, but start to follow Jesus. But then we see how it flows. What is the like practical aspect of it all is now we do this for our city. We passionately pursue the life and lifestyle of Christ in Queen Creek. Because here's the reality, guys. Our neighbors are looking for hope and peace, amen? They think they have a picture of the good life and they are doing everything they can to get it. But they know it's not enough. And we have the opportunity to enjoy Jesus, live like Jesus, and with the eyes of Jesus, look around and to touch people's lives through hospitality, through caring for them, through sharing the good news, and just healing them. And I love that Jesus, what he did was he healed the sick. He didn't just forgive people, which he certainly did, but he actually helped them um, physically. He helped them socially, economically. That is what we're called to do as a church, to bless our city, not just to get them out of hell, but to bring as much of the kingdom here on earth. Imagine if we lived within that framework and practicing the ways of Jesus, of recognizing I'm here to bring, my life is in you, I'm living the lifestyle to keep that fire within me, and I'm looking and I'm focusing at those around me. That's how I put it. The life of Christ is the fire we need. The lifestyle of Christ is the form we need, and our city is the focus that we need. So in closing, I I want you to examine your heart. Fire. Do you need fire? Do you need new life in Christ? Have you trusted in the life of Christ? You cannot get to God on your own. It's impossible. But that's why Jesus came lived that perfect life, died and rose again and offers it to us in abundance. And the only way to get that life is to repent. To turn from your old ways and say, God, you are on the throne, not me. I have sinned. I have tried to run my own kingdom and I'm exhausted. I'm giving it to you. Have you done that before? Because none of this other stuff makes sense if you haven't said, Jesus, I need your life. I need what you did to, to be in my substitute Because if it were up to me, I'd have to suffer for my sins for eternity. But Jesus, you suffered on the cross in my place. But then maybe for, I think, a lot of us, we need to start really honestly examining the lifestyle, the form. Are you experiencing abundance? Are you trying to experience abundance without obedience? How is that working? And I get it. A lot of us will say, I don't want to be religious, and I don't want us to be, quote-unquote, religious either. But at the same time, there's these certain things that are just glorious, these practices, if you're doing it for the right reasons. Grace is not opposed to effort, but it's opposed to earning. So my question to you, have you been baptized? Will you make that decision to actually get baptized? We're, getting, we're doing baptisms, like essentially a month from today, Easter Sunday. We would love for you to take that first step because these practices are actually how you participate in God's promises. I would love for us as a church to get in that. And then also, our focus, our Queen Creek. Are you extending this offer to those around you? Are you praying for your neighbors? 
Are you seeking, are you looking for the pain that they have and bringing the peace of Jesus with them? Are we using hospitality to break down the walls of hostility? All of these things. Can you imagine if we put these things together? I think that is the formula for revival. And I think that's the formula not just for abundance in heaven, but it is the formula for abundance here and now. When we do those things, people from everywhere will want to be a part of it.